Good to see you today. I mean that. <laughs> Very good to see you today. Today I want to continue a sermon series that I introduced to you two weeks ago. Entitled Getting Tough with Temptation. Before I do, I just want to thank you. Each and every one of you for what you did for me last week. And uh, Tim told me you guys prayed for me. And that means so much to me. I'm going to try not to start crying because when I start crying, I start coughing. If I start coughing, I start spitting. And you don't want to see that. I promise you, this is not, it's not good. But I'm so blessed that God let me be your pastor. And I'm so thankful that it means the world to me. And uh, I remind you that I'm going to be sharing some things with you about your personal enemy, the devil, that he does not want you to know. I promise you. I'm revealing trade secrets. Uh, a method of operation that he's used successfully for centuries and centuries and centuries. And so here's what I want you to be aware of. If you were the devil, how would you react to that? Would you just let me do that? Or would you try to resist that? I'd try to resist it. You know what I would do? I would distract you. I would distract you right now from within if I could. I'd get you thinking about things. You know? You reckon he's still contagious? I shook his hand. I'd get you thinking about anything I could but what I'm saying. And uh, if I couldn't distract you from within, I'd distract you from without. I would make something happen that caused you to keep going. And so every time you pulled back in and looked at me, you had no idea what I just said. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray a little prayer. And we're going to pray, God, help me get this. Right? So you pray that right now in your heart. God, help me get this. Did you all pray that? You're going to pray a second prayer. God, help my neighbors here get this. Okay, if you've prayed that, we're ready to go. So, essentially in the first sermon, we learned four lessons. Lesson number one, God has a plan for our life. But so does the devil. Lesson number two, God's plan is better than the devil's. It's a better plan. Follow God's plan, and in time, it will take you to a full life. That's what Jesus said. But follow the enemy's plan, and in time, not immediately, but in time, it'll lead you to an empty life. You say, you got biblical proof? Yeah. I'm going to preach this. One of the stories I'm going to look at is the story of the prodigal son. And if he were standing here and say, he's right. He's telling you the truth. Third lesson learned is, following God's plan requires obedience. That's how we take steps in, in God's direction, and we, we, we follow the path that He's carved out for It's just one step of obedience at a time. Yes, yes, yes. My only step. To follow the devil's plan requires that we disobey God. 
Every time we say, nope, no thank you, not going to do that, every step of obedience is a step down a pathway the enemy has carved out for us. Lesson four was this, we get to choose. We get to choose whom we follow. It's our choice, 100%. We get to choose which one of those paths we're going to go down, you know, whom we're going to follow, God or our enemy. We get to choose. So it makes the choice easy, right? No. It's not always an easy decision to make. You know what? The devil is the master salesperson. He is so persuasive. He knows how to sell his product. He knows how to sell his plan to you and come across so believable that you would abandon the plan of God and, uh, and opt for his plan instead. The devil has developed and refined a process that he uses to convince humans you ought to follow my plan rather than God's, and that process is called temptation. Since the beginning of time, the devil has had tremendous success misleading humans using this process. And we saw a classic example of this two weeks ago when we read about Adam and his sweet wife, Eve. The devil tempted Eve. That's how he was able to convince her to choose his plan. He succeeded with Eve, and if we're not very, very careful, he will succeed with us as well. For that reason, here's what we're doing at Golden Corner Church. If you're visiting, this is what we're doing. We're about to get tough with temptation. That's what we're going to do. And what's that going to take? Three things. And you're in luck. Let me tell you what. I had seven. <laughs> I sat down this morning with seven points. And I looked at that and I heard this voice in my head go, Hodge, how are you going to, how's your voice going to hold out long enough to preach all of this? I said, well, it's not. So I cut half of it out. So you're getting half a sermon a day because if I went with a full sermon, the second group gets nothing. So you're getting blessed. So I'm going to give you my half sermon. What's it going to take to get tough with temptation? Number one, to get tough with temptation, you have to know yourself. And we're going to read three verses from the New Testament book of James, chapter 1. But before we do... I need to remind you. Are the verses already on the screen? Because they are. Don't look. Don't you look. Look at me. Okay, good. Before we read them, I've got to remind you of something. Uh, three things. In the Old Testament of Jeremiah, chapter 17, verse 9, the prophet Jeremiah, in the Word of God, said, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things. That's not a misquote. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. And then Jeremiah went to say, nobody knows exactly how bad it is. You say, you know, you're not talking about me. Are you the exception of that rule? I don't think so. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 19, Jesus said that in each of our hearts resides the potential for any and every sin. Who said that? That's not hodgology, maybe. Jesus said, inside of every one of you, there is the potential for any and all sins. It's in there. 
And then in Romans chapter 7, the Apostle Paul said, there are two powers at war within me. There's a part of me that really wants to do good, but then there's another part of me that really wants to do evil, and they're always fighting between themselves. Could get worse. <laughs> now, with that in mind, let's read our verses. James chapter 1, verse 13 through 15. James said, and remember, if... Is that the word? No, the word is when. Because you're going to be tempted. And remember, when you're being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. You ever, you ever said about that? God's just kind of put him into the test. He's put this temptation on my hand. Listen, uh, James said, God has never tempted to do wrong, but he never tempts anyone else. Well, then where does temptation come from? Well, James tells us. Temptation comes from our own desires. Now, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. That's my favorite. But if we had read that, if we read this sentence from the New International Version, they add an adjective. This is the way it reads. Temptation comes from our own evil desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to what? Sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it doesn't have to grow, but when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to... It's positive. Listen, he didn't say mine. He said it will. Temptation comes from within. According to the Bible, the human heart is a literal seedbed of evil. Therefore, each of us carries about in our body the potential for all sorts, all kinds of sin. And not only the potential there, according to James, the desire is in there as well. Each of us has a dark side. A dark side that is not only capable of evil, but it, will find, it finds great pleasure in and longs to commit evil. Getting tough with temptation begins when we understand and start accepting this about ourselves. Uh, you remember the story where it was, it was before Jesus was arrested and, he, and Jesus said to the Apostle Peter, uh, you've got to do something unthinkable. Peter, you're about to do something horrible. You're going to deny me publicly. And son, you're not going to do it just once. You're going to do it three times. And I'm not talking about over the course of your life. I'm talking about before the sun comes up. How did Peter respond to that? Jesus said, you're going to do something absolutely unthinkable. How did Peter, did he go, well, you know me. I'm just apt to do anything. You know? <laughs> you know what he said? No! Well, that well, some of you, you needed to tune in. Get what we're you know? Peter said, no! I won't do that. I'm not capable of doing that. What happened? He did it. Jesus knew it better than He knew Himself. As long as we believe that we're incapable of evil, we're, we'll be easy to tempt. Like Eve, we'll be blindsided by temptation. You know, no wonder when Paul was writing to the Christians at the church that met in Galatia, he said to them, if somebody in your number falls into sin, you humbly restore them because it just might be you next time. 
To get tough with temptation, we have to know ourselves. Number two, to get tough with temptation, you have to know your world. I've got to remind you a few things, okay? Some of you might want to write some references down. In the New Testament book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 4, verse 4, the devil is described as the God of this world. Keyword, world. In the New Testament book of 1 John, chapter 5, verse 19, we're told that the world around us is under the control of the devil. In the New Testament book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verse 12, we are told that we're in a battle with the rulers of this dark, unseen world. In the New Testament book of 1 John, chapter 2, verse 15, we're told not to love the world, and don't you love the things that the world offers in the New Testament book of Romans chapter 12, verse 2, we're commanded not to copy the behavior and customs of this world. In those verses, what in the world is the Bible talking about when it's talking about the world? Well, first, it is a, it's referring to a system of beliefs and values. This system is the brainchild of the devil. If we listen closely to the conversation the devil had with Eve, we will recognize the central, foundational belief the devil is constantly preaching to this world. The devil told Eve that she, not God, should be in the position of authority in her life. You ought to be running things, girl. Not him. He didn't say there, there are two pathways to get through life. You can follow God or you can follow me. You know what he said? There's a third option. You can follow you. <coughs> he convinced her to act independently of God and choose for herself what's right and wrong. The world's entire system of values and beliefs ultimately flow from that one core belief. According to the devil, we, not God, should be in charge. We, not God, should be calling the shots. We, not God, should determine what is right and wrong for ourselves. So first of all, when we talk about the world, we're talking about a belief system. Second, when the Bible refers to the world, it's talking about people. When the Bible talks about the world, it's referring to the people who bought into the devil's philosophies, his value system, his belief system. And who bought into it in such a way that they not only believe it, they're now acting accordingly. Because they're following the devil's lead, the devil's path, and their own sinful nature, the world's actions almost always run counter to God's. But finally, the world is a culture. Here's the way it works. The devil spreads his me-first philosophy through every means possible. Through literature, through film, through television, music. I'll tell you what, I think the most ingenious thing that the enemy ever came up with was spreading his me-first philosophy via the internet. He'll use our friends. If all those things were in place, he would find a way to preach to you that life is me first. He does that. Then what happens? People buy into it. They start acting accordingly. As a result, a godless, immoral culture is created. A culture that the Bible calls the world. 
To get tough with temptation, you've got to understand this culture. According to Jesus in Matthew 18, 7, the world is a great source of temptation. In this culture, sin is advertised, encouraged, gladly applauded, and rewarded. In this culture, it's often right to do wrong. Now here's what that means to you. You still listening? Yes. Here's what it means to you. Opportunities to commit evil are everywhere. Every day. You are constantly surrounded by a literal smorgasbord of tempting situations. Therefore, sin, temptation not only comes from within, temptation comes from without. Inside of you is the desire to commit evil, and all around you are the opportunities to do so. That's the world we live in. And to get tough with temptation, you've got to know your world. Third, see how short? I'll tell you short. Point three and three point sermon. To get tough with temptation, you have to know your enemy. Well, let me remind you that the Bible calls the devil the tempter. Matthew chapter 4, if we're reading it, we would see that Jesus has been in the wilderness for 40 days. He's been fasting for 40 days. The devil showed up in the wilderness with Jesus. And you know how the Bible describes him in that passage? The tempter. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5. Paul was writing to a church, a lot like us, and he was talking about the devil. And you know how he described the devil? He described him as the tempter. As the tempter, the devil makes sure that we come face to face with evil opportunities. You see what I'm saying? Inside of you is our evil desires. All around you are evil opportunities. And the devil's going to do everything in his power to make sure that your evil desires come face to face with evil opportunities. That's step one. Get you in the presence of the opportunity to do something evil that you'd love to do. When our evil desires collide with evil opportunities, the tempter will launch an all-out effort to convince us to act on our evil desires. He wants us to commit evil. Now, I know what some of you think. Hang on, boss. Hang on. You keep using the word evil. Don't you think that's a little harsh? Come on, man. Evil? I mean, Charlie Manson was evil. Saddam Hussein was evil. What are you talking about? When you use it, don't you think that's strong? You know the word the Bible uses to describe every act that we commit that goes counter to what God wants us to do. You know the word the Bible uses? Evil. I think it's in this culture that we chose to dilute the horrible nature of sin by describing evil as a mistake, a poor choice, a shortcoming, an imperfection. To get tough with temptation, maybe we need to recognize sin for what it is. It is evil. So what does the devil do? The tempter leads us in a situation where evil desires meet evil opportunities. You're okay with me saying that, aren't you? Is that okay? I didn't cross him out of there, did I? Well, I'll be honest with you as much as I love you. I really wouldn't care. I told you the truth. <laughs> and once the devil gets our evil desires in close proximity to an evil opportunity. That's when it begins to employ the process of temptation and effort to convince us, act on that desire. Do it. You ought to do it. 
Now, how does he do this? I'd answer that question with at least two words. How does the devil tempt us? Intentional and strategic. First of all, the devil tempts us intentionally. Now listen, we read, we read that story two weeks ago about Adam and Eve. You, you saw that the devil and some of the fallen angels, they just weren't out taking a nature hike through the Garden of Eden and all of a sudden they came up on Eve and, and the devil looked at his fallen angels and said, what's this for us? i got a human. I'm about to mess with her. No, 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 no. Listen. She was his target. She was his intentional target. The devil's efforts to tempt her were intentional. There are other biblical examples of intentionality. The Old Testament book of Job, the devil and God having a conversation. A man's name comes up. His name was Job. When the devil left God's presence, he came straight to earth and he targeted Job. Job became a specific, a specific intentional target. I think about the night before, you know, you know, Peter denied Jesus. Jesus looked at Peter and said, the devil had desired to sift all you guys this week. No, that's not what he said. He said, Peter, the devil for some reason has singled you out and made you his target tonight. Can I say it like this? The devil doesn't hunt with a shotgun. He didn't just come into a congregation like this and shoot a little buckshot into our midst and say, I hope I've dropped two or three good followers of Christ. That's not the way he does things. The devil hunts with a rifle. He singles out a target. He takes intentional aim, hopefully destroying churches by destroying one believer at a time. Here's what that means to you. Ready? You listening? Here's what it means to you. You are, or you will soon be, the devil's target. Make a note. You are, or you will soon be, the devil's target. He will single you out, set you up, and tempt you to sin. So the devil's temptations are intentional, but they're also strategic. Listen carefully to me. Uh, New Testament book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verse 11. Paul wrote these words to a church full of people about like us. And he said, Put on all God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. Strategies. Do you see that? The devil is a schemer. Do you think Samson just happened to tell Delilah the secret of his great strength? It just came up. I mean, you think David one day just happened out on his roof? Happened to be home and on the roof when the lady who lived below decided she would bathe publicly. Do you think all those things just happened? No, no, no. Those were steps in a well thought out strategy. Here's what that means to you. Once the devil makes you his target, he carefully designs a strategy just for you. And when the time is right, he'll execute his plan. He will bring you and your evil desires face to face with evil opportunities. He will entice you from within and without. He will use your own evil desires to drag you away from what is right. The tempter will convince you that the wrong thing is the right thing for you. And then just like Eve, you'll give in to desire and you sin. Now you know why he wanted you to sin, don't you? He knows that if he gets you to sin once, it's going to be much easier to get you to sin twice. If he gets you sin twice, it's even easier to get you sin a third time and a fourth. 
The devil doesn't want you to sin, he wants you to make sin a habit. That's why. The devil wants you to make sin a way of life, because when you do, you're under his control. When sin becomes a lifestyle, you're following the devil's plan. You know where the devil's plan leads? Remember what James said in those verses we read? When sin is allowed to grow, it's the worst of death. When sin becomes a pattern, something dies. Write that down. When sin becomes a pattern in our life, something's going to die. Uh, you know, maybe it's intimacy with God. Maybe the power or the blessings of God upon your life will die. Maybe important relationships will die. I don't know what will die. I just know the devil will tempt you to sin, hoping that sin will take root and begin to grow because when sin grows, it gives birth to death every time. Years and years ago, I had a free afternoon. That's been a long time. I had a free afternoon. During the last time free afternoon was probably during the hunting season. I had a free afternoon. I decided I'm going fishing. There was this little roadside pond, and in hindsight, I think it was private property, but I didn't pursue trying to find out. I just went fishing, and I took my little Sevco 33 and a box of worms. I walked around the edge of that pond. I came to the back cove, and I looked out, and it was kind of a Man, it was a fisherman's dream. The brim were big. They were on the bed. In front of me were hundreds and hundreds of these old black, big-bodied, heavy bluegill. I'm thinking, thank you, God. Thank you. This is going to be heaven on earth. So I baited up, cast my red worm out there, got one. It's automatic. Strung him up. No catch and release that day. Strung him up. Baited throughout, boom another, baited boom another, baited, tried to cast, the bait just fell right at my feet. I thought, well, I, I, how do you mess up a cast on a Zebco 33? I don't know what I thought I did. So I tried again. You know what I realized? My Zebco 33 has torn up. Now I know what some of you guys and gals are thinking. I don't believe this story. I've never heard of a Zebco 33 tearing up. Well, this one did. I'm frustrated. I got hundreds of fish out here in front of me. I tear the thing apart. I'm trying to put it back. I'm trying to figure out what's going on. I put it together. Boom. Ah. I, I thought I'll just throw my bait in and go home. I took one of those big <coughs> red ones and I just threw it in there like a freebie. Threw it out of the Happened to land next to us a stump there. It's part of the stump that's sticking out of the water. And when that red worm hit, this big bass just came up and went, went right back out of that stump. I thought, would well, you look at that? And I, I did another one. And every time, he would come, boom, take it, going that stuff. And uh, it was entertaining. So I'm doing this, and all of a sudden I had a thought. A predatory instinct arose in me. I thought, I can catch a fish. He was big. A lot bigger than the average hodgefish. I'm telling you, it was a big fish. I'd catch a fish. I studied him a minute. I just started hand stripping line. Kind of gauging how far that my hand strip line off. I got me a big old heavy split shot. Something I could throw like a full of rock. I got me another worm. I put him on a hook. And I didn't knot him. You know how sometimes we just knock those red. You, what does that look like? A knot? Oh, I left him hanging long and loose like all those others have been. Barely on that hook. 
big split shot to the stump. I reached down and grabbed my broken down Zepco 33. About the time the split shot hit the water, out he came. Something different took place. About the time the slack was gone, I came back and I'm telling you, I crossed his eyes. You know what? Uh, he knew something's different and this is not good. You say, how did you know what a fish was thinking? <laughs> well, he tried every way in the world to get away. He knew I might be in the hands of a predator. He ran and he darted and he jumped and he thrashed and he's trying to get the hook out of his jaw. But the whole time the Zepco 33 may not cast a little crank. I <laughs> 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 the bank and I grabbed him by the way up and I look at him. You say, did you show mercy? Please forgive me, big deal. You know what you're thinking? Whew. I'm glad that's behind me. Honey, it ain't behind me. There's more bait going in the water. Devil ain't done. He's not done with you. Bait's going to hit the water again. You know where some of you are? You've been taking the bait for a long time. You're kind of like that old lass. You just keep yielding to temptation and sinning and yielding to temptation and sinning. Lightning has some struggle. Earthly love but not swallow you. Kids haven't come down with leprosy. You do understand that the enemy is just conditioning you. And there's more bait than they have to water. And you never know which time you take a bait. You don't feel the hook. And all of a sudden, the consequences of your life shift. The climate of your life shifts. It's as though your world is imploding, and maybe the better word is exploding because others are taking shrapnel from the explosion you've created. And then, and only then, you realize, too late. 
and you're under the control of the ultimate predator. And he will not stop until he has robbed you blind and ruined your life and probably the lives of those closest to you. So what do we do? We better get tough with temptation before we're rudely awakened by the enemy's hook set. So where do we go from here? Next week we need to take a more careful look at the enemy's strategies. Here's the thing. Whatever strategy he's putting, and I promise you, your name's on the table. He's drawn up plans even as we speak. And there'll be elements of the plan that are unique just to you, but there are elements of the plan that cross and be a part of his strategy for each and every one of us. And so next week, we're going to go a little deeper. And we're going to look at just how he goes about convincing us that the wrong thing is the right thing. Now you're going to keep praying for me, right? I'm praying for you. you got to keep praying for me because I'm letting the cat out of the bag here. When this series is over, we're going to be a group of people who are tough to tempt. Let's pray together. God, I'll just say this. Thank you for the heads up. Thank you for being patient with us. Uh, thank you for grace and forgiveness. And thank you for the heads up. I want you to help us to get tough with temptation. In the name of Jesus, we pray together. Amen. You're just going to thank you.